Jai Guru, everyone. Jai Guru. Jai Guru. Welcome to this uh, new episode of Awake Minute by Minute podcast. This is minute 44. Uh, and with us, we have a guest, uh, Danish. Hello. Uh, welcome to the podcast. And as a short way of introduction, Danish uh, is uh, a, a friend of, of Mike's uh, and has been following the show. Uh, and now we're, we're happy to welcome you uh, on the show, Danish. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you've actually come prepared with a very nice poem, so I think we'll start off with the poem. Please uh, take it away. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for that. So uh, this poem is basically something I just wrote uh, recently, um, and it's an expression of my gratitude for uh, Yogananda, who's uh, I consider to be a master, my master. And uh, I think some of the things I wrote here, maybe it's something that uh, all of you could relate to because we all have a kind of a relationship uh, with Yogananda. So uh, as I read, maybe I request, maybe you guys uh, could close your eyes and it could resonate with you even more. Uh, so yeah. So the poem is called, called What Master Has Done For Me. And uh, I guess you could uh, already recognize that it's based on the words that uh, uh, the first president of, the second president of SRF would mutter to himself as he would walk along, just chirping to himself what master has done for me. Um, each day of life now is a ruthless battle which I try to fight with strength unchained. Cosmic delusion tries relentlessly to derail and deceive me as if by my progress it is pained. Yet strangely, things seem better than ever. How is that, I marvel and wonder. Ah, of course. It is because of that glorious prayer which I now so often whisper. Change not the circumstances of my life, but change me instead. A saintly sister once prayed to the Lord, continuing undauntedly in the face of a severe trials. She had the last laugh as she eventually found God. In doing so, she exemplified with perfection the master's wisdom and is now helping me to see. I'm not this body, I'm not this mind. I am the immortal soul ever one with thee. Chiseled down my life according to thy design. I pray some days with one eye open and a grimace on my face, wondering that if this prayer touches the cosmic heart, what is it that the master will then send my way? As he sculpts my life, it really hurts at times, but I now know that my trials cannot break me. If I strive to still the mind, if I meditate and work with him, then this material world cannot break me. But lo, even this transformation is not enough. Astonishingly, my soul seems unsatisfied. For when the sun sets and the curtains are drawn, when all the friends go home, I sense a void. Life is better than ever. Then why do I feel this emptiness, this never-ending longing? In the stillness that succeeds deep meditation, I find the answer that is soul-satisfying. Until I have found God, until I know him, until he speaks directly to me, no demonstration of earthly toys, not even the pinnacle of health can fulfill me. For it is only then that I will know that deep love, which every being on this earth craves, a love that understands everything, always, that accepts, that gives without expectation, a love that never fades. But such love cannot be found in a human heart. It can only be received directly from the divine. And this is why the Lord has sent me a master to help me perfect my little love in time. 
when there was no one who could understand, nowhere I could turn to, when I was stuck in a ditch of misery. He held out his hand and watched my every thought. He felt every blow that struck me. He shields me from disaster, but urges me to move faster on this airplane route to liberty. And when locked into that roller coaster seat, tired, daunted, I feel downcast and unsure. I turn and find him in the seat next to me. Where can one find such a love? One that praises without flattery, that speaks the truth gently, that laughs and cries and walks every step along with me. It is a love I did not conceive of in my wildest dreams, higher than the highest skies, deeper than the deepest sea, a love that fills that void, that finally fulfills me. He is my father, my mother, my lover even, my companion, my eternal friend. He means the world to me. With each passing day, it is more and more clear what Master has done for me. Hey, Guru. Very beautiful. Thank beautiful. you for sharing that. Did you write that recently? Has that been something you've been working on? Just wrote it two hours ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I just felt uh, I, I've been very, uh, I've been uh, following your show and uh, I was very happy and excited to be on it. And I just felt inspired to pen something uh, last evening after my meditation. And I started writing it on the subway in Munich this afternoon. And I'm happy I could finish it before we started. <laughs> just like talking. Very, very devotional. Yeah, thank you resonated resonated with me a lot as well. Great, mm -hmm. thank you, Danish. Maybe you could tell us uh, your journey of how you got onto the path of yeah. Sure. So um, I basically uh, was going through a very bad time uh, personally in 2019, um, and uh, I, I currently am in Germany in Munich, but I was in New York at the time, and uh, had I think it was the worst year of my life. I had some pretty dark thoughts and uh, was, had some fears and I was not in a good place. And then I basically uh, read a lot of books on um, controlling the mind, the subconscious mind and all these kinds of self-help books, which I've always been attracted to. And then at some point, I don't know what happened, something shifted and uh, the genre went from self-help to spirituality. Um, and uh, I was always attracted to the idea of meditation. And I started doing some meditation with art of living like deeper transcendental meditation. And I felt that together with reading some spiritual books led me to the autobiography. And I read that and um, yeah, chapter 26 on the science of Kriya Yoga really got to me. Uh, and then I felt like I have to get, have to get this technique. And I went to the center in New York. Um, and yeah, the rest is history basically. Lovely. And you've been, You've been watching the Awake documentary, I presume. Yeah, I watch it uh, fairly often whenever time permits me. Yeah, I really like the show. Yeah, and the the Awake documentary itself. But when when did you first watch it? Oh yeah, sorry, I uh, got that question wrong. But yeah, the Awake documentary I watched it the first time in 2019, uh, mm -hmm. just after okay. I had signed up for the lessons. So I read the autobiography before the movie, and uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I loved watching it, and I watched it. Uh, quite a few times since then. Nice. And uh, with with the awake documentary, did, I'm curious. You know, whenever I watched it, 
uh, I watched it myself and then I've watched it with my my wife my now wife um have, have you managed to share it with anybody else that do, have you is this a sole effort on your part of of a path uh, or have you been able to share that with anybody else in your circle yeah uh, I mean I find the movie very inspiring especially because uh, you know it talks about God but at the same time it talks a lot about science and uh, for me like a, for a large time long my entire life before i found the path like these two things i could not reconcile and that was a problem but this i think this documentary in 90 minutes does a good job of juxtaposing the two together and since then um, i mean i'm i'm still new on the path and uh, my family no one on my family in my family is on the path so i haven't shared it with them um, but uh, since then i've spoken to quite a few friends who are looking for something or you know attract, attracted to the idea of going within and meditation or whatever and uh, some of them who don't like reading books a lot uh, then i share the movie with them yeah so uh, mike you have a question so did you first read the autobiography of a yogi or first the awake movie because traditionally a lot of people they got on the path by reading the ay but now it seems like the movie is like um, getting a lot of popularity and it was on netflix for a while and things which one did you find out, out about first yeah in my case it was the it was the book Mm -hmm. I knew of the book before because you know I've seen that pho the, the photograph on the cover many times. Mm -hmm. It's a very popular book. Mm -hmm. I never thought I was interested in like what what a yogi had to say. Like I was interested in like controlling the mind and you know self help and not really interested in God and yoga. But I didn't read it. But then uh, in 2019, so I'm a, I'm a, I used to play cricket uh, and I was pursuing it as a career. And I'm a huge fan of uh, the in captain of former captain of the Indian cricket team. His name is Virat Kohli. Virat Kohli, yeah, yeah. And he posted on his Instagram that this book, you know, changed his life. And I was wondering if this guy who's like so keen on, you know, changing himself and self-improvement, if he's reading this book, then I thought he should give it a shot. <laughs> and that's wow. what finally got me to read that book, yeah. So if Virat Kohli is listening, you got one person <laughs> read the autobiography of a yogi. Well done. Nice. <laughs> Well, thanks, thanks for joining. Um, it's really, really good to have you. We've got a, you know, a controversial minute, I think, um, in minute 44, uh, and really can be encapsulized. Uh, we'll jump into it here, uh, but really can be encapsulized into civil rights. Uh, and um, I thought it was maybe useful to sort of set the scene of what it is that we're, we're looking at again, um, to, to remind ourselves of anything else. Um, the context of of the um, of course of Yogananda's life is a lot of the work he did is in the 1920s 30s, and I kind of if I was to think about it spiritually, maybe you could categorize it as a time of great awakening, but also heavy karma. So we had World War One and World War Two, you know, in those in those decades when Yogananda was really trying to bring some light to the world. So he was battling a lot of a, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, spiritual um, dogmas and things like that in in that time, uh, and of course we'll we'll see that and we'll delve into that in this in this minute. Uh, the thing that I first noticed uh, is the fast moving train. Early early on in this uh, in the documentary, there was trains left, right, and center coming in, and it was maybe like a, a theme, uh, uh, an analogy or a metaphor. But we have another fast moving train in that. Um, brings this uh, brings us into this minute um, and again it's probably you know a great way to get around back in the 1920s and 30s but um, we, we see you know an image of Guruji on a poster 
uh, and uh, you know it's it's a lovely picture of him with left and right there's image of an obelisk in washington dc and then oval office on, on his uh, right hand side and above it we see a caption the week in the nation nation's capital and on underneath it uh, the topic i presume that yoganand is talking about in washington dc is where to go and what to do which is very practical, isn't it? It's typical Yogananda's very practical kind of attention grabby headline. Um, and we see lots of images of, uh, you know, hundreds of people queuing uh, and hundreds of people crammed into a very large room sitting in round tables and it's all very formal and Yogananda's standing there, at the, you know, front and center dictating to the audience. Uh, and we have a second showing here of Robert Love who we had in the previous minute. Uh, and Robert uh, says that Paramahansa really was drawing the, lo the largest audiences in Washington, D.C. at the time. So he was, um, you know, meeting with congressmen um, and, uh, you know, various dignitaries, senators, judges, and so on and so forth. He also met with President Coolidge uh, that we're, we'll get into in a moment. Um, but he goes on to say that Yogananda had a rude awakening. Um, there was a lot of racial segregation in the American South that was Washington at the time. Um, we, we also see really nice um, old video footage of what looked like maybe lower class black people at the time. Um, you know, a lady with her daughter doing her hair and a, a man sort of fiddling with some sort of instrument. Uh, and then, uh, you know, another lady sweeping, sweeping the porch uh, as well. So that's really nice. Sort of setting setting the scene for for the topic that we're we're looking into, and then we hear uh, over all of these images the narrator's voice of Paramahansa Yogananda saying that he was surprised when he was told that only white people would be permitted to attend his classes, uh, and then he goes on to say in defiance he founded the Afro American Yogoda Center. Uh, so there's some finishing uh, of images here at the end of the minute. Uh, contrasting images of Paramahansa Yogananda standing with only white faces and then other images of him standing with only black faces. So I thought all that was that was lovely. Uh, Mike, did you have anything to jump in to, to add to that? Yeah, I wanted to start with the, the racial segregation um, that he encountered in Washington, D.C. and how he was surprised by that. But also, also he um, he kind of, it, it was really weird, right? Because he, he, you have to imagine like he grew up in India, which is a country that isn't like that. And in Europe, it wasn't really like that. And, and the United States as one country seemingly had racial segregation in, in the South, but not in the North. And he, he started out being in Boston, right? And in New York, and then he traveled the country a bit. And then he suddenly noticed that half the country is basically an apartheid state, right? Where based on the color of your skin, you're allowed to go into a restaurant, you're allowed to take the bus or sit on the bus. And, and that is, um, must have been um, a kind of a revelation. And also maybe a kind of moment where you feel like, okay, there's st still a lot of bad karma around here. Also that, <clears throat> Um, Yogananda himself, he was like, I would, I would say, um, a bit darker. So he, he kind of would have been in the system. He would have probably not been allowed to do certain things as well, which is 
completely insane, right? And he was he and but he was also the superstar at the same time. So he came into Washington D.C. and like you see here, he drew huge crowds. And then when he saw that a lot of those people were or everybody there was just white, right? Because nobody else was in there. He kind of saw this inequality and this unfairness of this whole system, and that um, must have been a striking moment. You know, whenever I was looking over this minute and, you know, the topic really is civil rights, I thought, okay, well, civil, civility, you know, civilization, this word, like what, you know, what does it mean? Uh, and a pure definition of civilization is the stage of human social and cultural development and organization that is considered most advanced. And what struck me there was considered most advanced. And I suppose people at the time probably thought they were being civil with how they acted. Well, oh yeah, you know, we're, you know, there's a hierarchy in the world and, you know, the whites are above the blacks and so on and so forth. But Yogananda, it's an, another example of how his message um, ages really well. And we've talked about that in other minutes, right? And he was there, you know, as he mentioned there in, in, in uh, the minute that we'll get into, he was defiant in the face of prevailing thought and wisdom. And he was able to say, look, you know, I will communicate to black folks and, you know, have communion with them. Um, whereas that was not seen as the done, that was not the done thing at the time, right? Um, so it, it does, it's another example of how his teaching ages really, really well. <laughs> I'm glad to see that. And it wasn't really until the 50s and 60s that we had um, in the US, uh, the civil rights movement, yeah, with Martin Luther King and so on uh, and so forth. So that's 20, 30 years after, you know, this time. So he's really coming in and saying, you know, forget this, you know, we're in a new age, right? If you want to talk about the yugas and so on and so forth, this concrete thinking, it's, it's the identif identification politics. It's, it's old. Um, Priyank, what would you have to say? Yeah, you're right in that uh, Yogananda was aware of this. And uh, there's a quote, it says Yogananda was well aware of the racism he and his fellow countrymen had to contend with. And, and he said, God does not like to be insulted when he wears his dark suits, mm. he once said. <laughs> so that was an interesting way of putting it, dark suits. Amazing so, quote. That would be me and Danish in this conversation. <laughs> I can't understand. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever whenever I was looking into some of the um, bits and pieces that uh, Yogananda would have talked about when he talks about civility and so, and so on, there's um, a there's a great piece really on the Yogananda.org site. There's a blog there called "Finding a Unity Deeper Than Race, Color, or Creed," and really, it's uh, Brother Chidananda. And he talks about the prayer, you know, prayers for healing for of racial injustice and addressing the karmic cause of the problem. Uh, and I, I just wanted to maybe Mike, you could read out um, one of uh, the quotes here that Brother Chidananda used, and it kind of sets the scene, I think, for really what was at the core of Yogananda's heart. As soon as we <clears throat> as soon as we learn in meditation to love God, we shall love all mankind as we love our own family. Those who have found God through their own self-realization, those who have actually experienced God, they alone can love mankind, not impersonally, but as their blood brothers, children of the same one father. Yeah, 
um, a teaching that I think is eternal, isn't it? Such a, such a great little, um, little message. Uh, and there's so many, there, that was just one of so many great quotes on that site. Um, so if anybody does want to find more, like really inspiring, as Brother Chidananda said, supercharged words of wisdom and, and inspiration, like jump on uh, yogananda.org site and look at the blog. Um, you'll find tons, tons of great quotes there. So, you know, feel free to jump in. But Priyank, Priyank did you have um, more to say on this topic? Yeah, just a little look to give you a bit of the feel about the culture of um, the prejudice. So we in, the, in, the, in a little, a little uh, couple of more minutes, we'll talk about the, all the controversy surrounding Swami Dhirananda. And um, one during all of this, when he was in the South region, one consulate officer says that the Miami, the, the Miami city manager and chief Quig, uh, quote, recognized the fact that Swami was a British subject and apparently an educated man. But unfortunately, he was what is considered in this part of the country as a colored man. And then uh, Phil Goldberg says, given the South's cultural mores, he noted, the Swami was in great danger of suffering bodily harm from the populace. A British official met with Yogananda privately and said, Whilst, while his manner and conversation were those of a superior person, he reported, I recognize that his color, while not Negro, was such as might cause high feeling in the community. And he advised Yogananda to leave Miami for his own safety. We like jumping. You have to imagine like how this even came to be, right? This kind of um, segregation mindset that must be such a group brainwash, right? that you people grow up and you tell them if you're white it's great and if you're not white um you um are the lower class and then everybody buys <clears throat> buys into this and believes this and they do this for many many years right first there was slavery in america and then after slavery it was replaced with this apartheid state which was not much better really and um <clears throat> The, the feel, like I, it feels like when they when you read those kind of uh, notes from uh, in the from the Phil Goldberg book that the person who writes it on some level acknowledges how stupid the system is <laughs> but it's just how it is right I mean it feels like this was already the time where people thought the system has to go and we just have to um, I mean it took Martin Luther King afterwards with his nonviolent Gandhi methods to do it right but it was really not easy to just basically it felt like the system was um expired even then yeah yeah there's, uh, there's another layer of prejudice in there actually because a you're criticized or um you're, you're um, discriminated against for being a person of color but then the people of color have got another separate discrimination because are you educated do you speak well etc so Yogananda was in this category of someone of color but he speaks mm. well so should we give him a special dispensation because he he seems to be educated and he speaks well obviously Swami Sri Yukteswar you know prophesied such things so he told Guruji to you know get his uh, degree because now, now he kind of fits into this gray area where he'll he's you know person of color yet educated so it's um it's a quite a complex fabric, isn't it? That uh, that Guruji had to uh, come out of. Mm. 
been. Yeah, Danish, you were saying? Yeah, I was saying uh, it's also what what's actually really uh, dangerous about this thing is it's not just uh, like the, not just like a legal system or social system, but it, it was also probably a deep rooted belief of a lot of religious people at the time that this is the way of God. Like if you're if you think an African American is lower than you because you are white, then that's the truth. And so by following that principle, you are actually pleasing God. And it's really hard to come out of that if you've been thinking like that for 50 years and you believe you're a God-seeking person. And then how do you get out of that? You're stuck in that delusion, right? Mm. There's a, a quote um, Luther Burbank, um, who Yogananda was very close to. Uh, and he gave uh, Yogananda an article that he had written on science and civilization. You can find this article online. Um, it's on, it's a, it's a random site. I'll not quote it because I don't really know the site, um, but you can, you can find it if you, if you jump on the search engine. Um, you know, Yogananda very affectionately said about uh, Burbank that uh, his, as our friendship grew deeper, I called, I called Burbank my American saint. His heart was fathomlessly uh, deep, long acquainted with humility, patience, and sacrifice. And in, in the uh, article, science and civilization, you know, Burbank doesn't really min min mix his words. He is quite clear to say, um, I'll quote here, those who take refuge behind theological barbed wire fences quite often wish they could have more freedom of thought, but fear the change to the great ocean of scientific truth as they would a cold bath plunge, the cleansing crystal waves of which are an exhilarating tonic healthful and life-giving, removing the debasing sin of ignorance, the mother of misery, crime, inefficiency, superstition, bigotry, debt, disease, and death. And that is a really hard-hitting kind of um, point there where he was coming from the scientific perspective. And we can apply this to race uh, and color that uh, underneath it, you know, we're all made the same. Um, it might look different, uh, but uh, certainly science, ironically, um, at the beginning, there were some scientists that tried to find the difference between whites and blacks and so on, try to make a hierarchy, which is insane to, to us. But that was sort of taken and run with by certain groups of people for years and did probably a lot of damage. Um, but as science is distilled, it is becoming that beacon of truth for many people, especially in the West, um, you know, 100 years ago or so. Um, Mike, did you have a comment? Yeah, um, I, I want to comment on uh, what Danish said, that they used religion on, to reinforce the racist ideology that they had in the South, right? And in order to do that, they, they kind of whitewashed uh, Jesus himself, right? Who was an Oriental man who was not white. And um, I found a, a nice little... Uh, a paragraph to read from Man's Eternal Quest on this. And Guruji says there, although Jesus' teachings were preordained to establish the strongest foundation in the West, he chose an incarnation of an Oriental body. And in the Jewish race, which had a long history of persecution, because he wanted to demonstrate the folly of judging others according to distinction of race and color. True Christianity must be lived. Racial divisions must be banished. Prejudices and lack of real brotherhood 
are causes of war and disunion among amongst God, uh, God's children. We must work at eradicating all incitements to war in hate and prejudice, lie bombs and misery. Yeah, it's um, it's a subject that you know Yogananda led on, and we'll get on to the subject of um, him define that prevailing wind in uh, of thought in, in a minute. Uh, but first, I wanted to switch uh, gear and talk about something a little, little bit more lighthearted. Um, we've got uh, Yogananda meets the president. So at the time, uh, there were unprecedented um, uh, gatherings uh, for Yogananda, uh, filling uh, huge, huge rooms. Um, he was inundated with uh, people who wanted to come to see and listen to uh, his speech. Uh, and yeah, no, no other than uh, the president. Um, he was he was there speaking, giving giving advice uh, to the president, which we can go into. I think uh, Frank, you you had added a few bits on this, so do you want to take it away? Yeah. So before he was invited to uh, meet him, <laughs> something quite cool happened. Um, a consulate employee. Um, of uh, I think probably one of the embassy, British embassy probably scoped out Yogananda's New York lectures. Um, Swami, and then he quotes, Swami deals in the usual type of psychological platitudes that emanate from the Hindu apostles of new religions who derive lucrative incomes by imposing upon certain elements of the American public. And in, this is Philip Goldberg saying this, in the writer's opinion, Yogananda suffers from seditious tendencies which might break out in violent eruptions if circumstances provide proved favorable. A 1927 letter which otherwise reeks of British condescension towards Indians encountered that judgment, counters that judgment. It seems that before he was allowed to meet President Coolidge, Yogananda had been thoroughly checked out. The Brits found no harm no evidence of seditious activities, and the lecture they attend, lectures they attended was deemed harmless. <laughs> so he was vetted uh, before being allowed to meet the uh, president of America, it would seem. It's ex extremely uh, paranoid times, isn't it? Um, with, uh, maybe you were going to say that, but um, uh, with, with uh, foreign um, influence on one another, and I suppose it can, it's, it's easy to judge, isn't it, to look back in time and say, hey, they should have known better. But a lot of this was so new, it might have been the first time anybody had encountered or heard of, you know, Indian philosophy or whatever, however you might want to, to angle that. But Mike, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I think you, you said the word that I also wanted to say, the paranoia. And then the question is, if you have a system and you are paranoid, that someone is going to come in and change it doesn't that mean that your system is weak that your system is rotten and it reminds me a bit of um communism in the in the 80s right when like in i think in in east germany they tell stories like there, there were more people employed with the spying agency than there were citizens or something like that because everybody was paranoid that something was going on to overthrow the government and it seems like there are tendencies like this here, where this this whole kind of um, segregationist um, system 
seems to be paranoid that people come in and will overthrow it. And I feel like this paranoia must come from a knowledge on some level that this is wrong and it needs to go. Yeah, you're, you're not um, paranoid if they're out to get you. Yeah. And it turned out, Paramahansa Yolanda was out to get them, but not, <laughs> not, not there, not anything, but, uh, but really to, to bring them back to, to, to God, right? So, um, Danish, do you want to jump in with any comments? Yeah, I was just curious. Uh, do you, do any of you know, like, why Calvin Coolidge wanted to meet him? Uh, like, was he interested in yoga or it was just that Master was creating such a stir that, the president felt like he should check this person out. And uh, is there any documentation on what the president discussed with him? Yeah, so Phil Goldberg writes um, that um, the Washington Herald under the headline, Sage Seeds Coolidge, <laughs> reported that the president greeted Yogananda with evident pleasure. And that's quotes. And agreed with his guest that it is only spiritual understanding between all nations that can bring lasting peace. The newspaper photo shows Yogananda looking distinguished in an overcoat and holding a walking stick, posing outside the White House with a representative from the British Embassy, and behind them, the president peers at the scene from a window. So this, is that, this scene is actually in the um, minute, so we can see this, and you can see like a faint outline of someone in the window we don't know if that's actually him, but that's supposedly him. Um, but apparently, earlier, we should add, Yogananda had issued some lifestyle advice for the commander-in-chief through a post-interview. A vegetarian diet, peri periodic fasting, no ice water, daily fresh air exercise, twice daily periods of introspective silence, quotes, and no worrying, i.e. calmly active and actively calm, was his motto. <laughs> so we don't know how much of that uh, council was received by our President Coolidge, but uh, that's, that's pretty much the, um, <laughs> the gist of probably what they would have discussed, uh, they discussed before that. But um, just going back a little bit, before, um, you know, when the, the, this consulate, British, British um, uh, official, uh, Know, in, researched him they would have done that because Yogananda was I think was a British citizen or some sort of British uh, not British the visa was issued through the British so um, they were kind of you know stamping putting their stamp of approval for him which is why they would have done this studying of him but I thought I found it funny that um, these officials are usually pretty, you know, educated, uh, educated people, but they came, they straight, they came straight into it from an angle of like condescension of condescension and cynicism, like just saying, oh, you know, he's kind of almost like you brainwash the people and, you know, tricks them mm. into giving them his money, giving them their money. And so I would, I would have expected a bit more objectivity from officials, but perhaps that's uh, asking for too much. <laughs> You, you said it yourself, they're educated <laughs> in many ways, but uh, Mike. Oh, yeah. Mean? I mean, first of all, I love the whole part of you go up to the president and tell him to have a vegetarian diet in the 1920s. <laughs> 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 Fantastic. I, I wonder what his, um, what his response was and if he took any, any of this too hard. Um, and the other thing is that this picture, um, when I saw this as a kid, I was um, 
uh, and then I was it was always pointed out to me that the, there's Guruji and the person next to him is not Calvin Coolidge, but it is um, some government official. Um, and Calvin Coolidge is like waving through the window. And I was always, and, but you can barely see him. Like the quality of the photo isn't so good. So you can, cannot really mm. see him. So I was always wondering why there isn't a picture of Guruji and, and him. And maybe that's because taking pictures back then was such a big thing and it took ages and and um or or maybe it was that Calvin Coolidge didn't want to be seen with him because in parts of the country that's not um something yeah, yeah you're right because politically yeah. it's only a losing scenario for him isn't it? that picture <laughs> he's not going to gain yeah. any like Indian votes because they probably can't even vote back then <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that? Yeah, I was just uh, just wanted to you know respond to something that Priyank said, where he, he said he was a bit surprised by these educated people uh, had this kind of a condescending view. I actually don't find that very surprising because if you see uh, in history, you find a lot of highly educated people behaving in these ways, and it just tells you maybe education does not also like like values are something different from like the conventional education you receive. Like as a very stark example, uh, I mean. Winston Churchill said had <laughs> did not have very uh, high opinion of Mahatma Gandhi, and he at one point said it is alarming and nauseating to see Mr. Gandhi, a seditious middle temple lawyer, now posing as a fakir, striding half naked up the steps of the vice regal palace. So, I mean, uh, Churchill can say that. I'm not surprised that these British officials were like vetting Yogananda. Granted, granted. I should probably change my word surprised to just. Uh... Disappoint, disappointed. <laughs> uh, Anish, to, to go back to your your question um, before, and I, I did read online. Um, I was trying to pull it up there again. I, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't quick enough. But uh, I think Yogananda was there to see. He was meeting with other people, and then he ended up being introduced. I think more informally to the president, who was also there at the time. So I'm not sure that he was actually there formally to meet the president. Uh, please, someone correct me on this, or you know, if anybody has that knowledge, jump in uh, and make comments. But uh, I did read online there was a bit more of a detailed um, description of of how it went down, and I think he more was introduced, and then he was saying, you know, he took that opportunity, said, hey, you know, you know, do do these things and and, and be this way, and you know, you'll you'll um, You'll uh, you'll be healthier and, and uh, you know mentally, spiritually, and so on forth. Um, he did make a comment, Yogananda, that um, when a reporter asked him what did he think about meeting the president, and he replied, like, "Oh, you know, he's much healthier in real life than what he looks like in the photos," which I thought was curious. Um, but he did go into detail of how he should actually spend his time. So he was saying a multitude of things that we all know through the teachings, but. To, to meditate, um, to, to eat uh, at certain times and exactly what to eat. You know, he did go into good detail on that, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and so on. Um, I, I counted up all the hours that he said, spend this amount of time on introspection and reading and meditating. And, and it was 14, just shy of 14 hours a day. He said like, well, sleep for eight hours. He said, make sure you sleep for eight hours a day. And Coolidge, interestingly, he was a person who slept for 10 hours a day reportedly he was he, he loved to sleep but um he, he did allocate 14 hours of the president's day to kind of spiritual practice and, and right living and i thought to myself well 
here's a guy who's probably working, you know, a hundred hours a week or something. And, you know, he's probably dedicated himself to that wholeheartedly. Um, how much did he actually manage to incorporate into his life? Um, because it would have been a drastic change. I have no idea, but um, he, I don't think Yogananda held back when he, he was, he wasn't giving him the watered down version of stuff that he could do. He was giving him the, the full, the full log, um, which, uh, yeah, I thought was, I thought was great. Uh, Mike. You have to also imagine it from the other perspective, right? Imagine you are Calvin Coolidge and you are a soul, right? Incarnated in a body. You play this role as the president, right? And I'm sure you have all kinds of problems in your life and problems with health and everything. And now you have this avatar in front of you, right? Who can heal you from everything, who, who basically is so high above you uh, in, in, in real terms. And I'm sure he got something out of it. And maybe, maybe he even started meditating at some point, or maybe not. Or maybe in, maybe in his next incarnation, he kind of was drawn on some kind of more spiritual avenue. You never know. I think Guruji, he leaves imprints on everybody that he meets. I don't think he gets it, anything gets lost ever. I think um, we've heard somewhere that um, anybody in Yogananda's uh, as a devotee has been with Yogananda in some way in a previous life. I think somebody said that on the previous minute um, in some way. So, you know, poss quite possibly that could have then went to plant the seed. Uh, maybe, maybe it was you, Priya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who knows? Um, so great. Um, We'll move on then to the, the next uh, subject of discussion, which um, is the uh, rather inspiring one, really, uh, of Yogananda defying the um, prevailing you know, policies and thinking of the time, which was he founded the Afro-American Yogoda Center to teach, uh, to teach his, as he says, the, the Negro brethren um, at the time. And we see some great pictures in the minute of Yogananda standing with a whole party of, of um, black faces, uh, which is um, great to see. They all look very happy to be with him. Um, and I'm sure very appreciative of him, you know, going to his efforts at the time. You know, he didn't need to do this, but he clearly had that in his heart. Um, so yeah, some great pictures there. Um, and again, I found a little, a little note um, online. Maybe Mike, you could read out the image of the Afro-American Yogoda Center. Sure. Um, Swami gave a class in Washington for colored students and had an earnest class about 50, um, about 50 people. They held a social gathering on March 5th where Swami played the Hindu Esrash, is that how I say it? And the Burley singers sang um, spirituals. On this occasion, Swami appointed Mrs. Minnie C. Mayo as the leader of the Afro-American Yogoda Satsanga Association in Washington. This center has a beautiful home of its own on 14 Iowa Circle and W. Public meetings are held each Sunday night at five o'clock with a lecture music and healing vibrations. On Wednesday, the African-American Yogoda Center students meet to transact business and review the Yogoda exercises. And this was um, Minnie Mayo that he uh, gave the, the honor to really run the center. Um, so this was the group uh, leader uh, and that name was listed throughout 
uh, that time, uh, this who led the activities uh, all throughout the Great Depression. Um, and after February 1932 uh, issue of the Afro-American Yokota Center, um, I think it was a magazine or it was uh, an online, or sorry, it was a, an issue of receipt of the meetings. Um, after February 1932, there was no longer any record of the group's activity, nor was there any listing of it to be found. So what became of this? Um, I don't know. Uh, I did uh, go online to try to kind of source this out. But again, if anybody knows more about this, please share it with us. Uh, that would be... But, um, DC does have a center, Self-Realization Fellowship Center, but um, you know they may have integrated that the, well, that following into there, or I don't know. 1932. I mean, it's still quite early on um, mm. in you know the whole problems with segregation. So yeah. um, I just wondered what actually became of it uh, when when it's all. Yeah, that'd, that'd be interesting info if anyone has any. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, the DC Center website doesn't have a nice history. Yeah, section yeah. Group, right? <laughs> I looked that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's you know the encapsulated uh, part of. Uh, the Yogoda Center for African American. Um, I, th I thought it was fantastic, personally, like hearing this. He's a real spiritual warrior, and he'll just do what he needs to do to make things happen. Um, and really, as I said, that sort of teaching, that way of life is uh, really aged well uh, in, you know, 100 years later almost. Uh, so I was really, really pleased to see. Um, the um that um all the stuff that we read out was actually in a 1927 east west issue of uh, of the of the magazine that Guruji used to publish every quarter so all of that was in there as well yeah yeah there's so much good information online Sorry, you know which I month it was i did and now i all have i got it no i closed it <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> i could find it hold up I can uh, I can read out a quote actually from Tree. Yeah, please. My, my duty. Um, again, there is a a website, the yogananda site.wordpress.com. Um, you can find this on there. Uh, it was Sri Dayamataji um, saying, "Let me read something prophetic that Gurudeva said in 1937. It is in, and this is the quote from Yogananda." It is a new world we face, and we must mold ourselves to the changes. An absolute necessity for the new generation is the recognition of the divinity of all mankind and the sweeping away of all divisive barriers. I cannot conceive of a Jesus Christ or a Lord Krishna or the Rishis of old calling any man a Christian, a Hindu, a Jew, and so forth. I can conceive of their calling every man my brother, there will be no new order built on contempt for other races or on a chosen people complex, but rather on, recogni on recognition of the divinity of every man who walks the face of this earth and on recognition of the common fatherhood of God. That's epic. Brings a tear in my eye by reading that. And remember at the time, the Nazis in you know, Germany and Europe, they were coming to power and, and really Hitler was obsessed with creating this Aryan race. So this was a real, I mean, this was really, really big, big 
stuff <laughs> that Yogananda is trying to influence in his way. And we know that, you know, Yogananda kind of despaired in moments whenever, whenever he saw visions of flashes of, of the wars happening. Like, you know, why are we, why is this happening? Um, partly due to the madness of, you know, this racial purity idea that, uh, you know, Hitler and so on had. But I suppose the response from, I think, uh, this is in the autobiography of a yogi was, um, this is just a mirad, an illusion, a play uh, of images, you know, on a screen, uh, in a cinematic screen. So, um, yeah, Yogananda was really in the depths of this uh, karmic, uh, you know, wit. Um, Frank, did you find the answer? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so it was in May to June issue, nineteen twenty-seven, volume two, three. I'll put a link to it on our description for this for this minute. Brilliant. Nice. My my dad has like a huge collection of all the magazines. So I'm gonna look that one up at some point. Yeah. He actually has the physical copies, your father? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, Mike's cool. dad's got so many books we could open up a library, couldn't we, Mike? That would be an awesome library. His apartment is a library. Great. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, that sort of wrap up, wraps up the minute. Um, you know, we're going to be looking into cosmic delusion in the next minute and similar topics. Uh, but uh, really with that, guys, is there anything else you would like to add? Anything that you think we missed? Frank, Mike, Danish, go ahead. I mean, I just wanted to share uh, 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 like some words from uh, Yogananda, which I found on this topic and I found it to be very appropriate. So it's a few lines, and he says, um, another measure of spirituality is whether you treat persons of all races, the brown, white, black, red, yellow, etc., with the love you feel for your own family and countrymen. Remember, you are a Hindu or American for just a little while, but God's child always. You must have sympathy for oppressed races, as exemplified by Lincoln and Gandhi. Mix with them socially, irrespective of color, declaring that you believe in the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of the one God. As long as you harbor hatred or prejudice based on racial differences, you are hating God himself, who is garbed in costumes of all colors of human flesh. And um, I mean, you guys started off the, the discussion with some of these words, which so it's, you know, the same theme. But what I found really, uh, I mean, I was very, very, not, I wouldn't say astonished, but what really stood out for me is the strong words here, where he says that you are actually, hating God himself if you are prejudiced. Those are really strong words. Um, so you, you just have to like amend your way of thinking if you, because the idea of God is not, cannot be reconciled with such divisive thinking. So. Right. Yeah, something we may not have mentioned, but apparently colored people weren't allowed to attend public talks and lectures at that time. So Guruji, you know, with his usual format of wanting to, you know, engage with the community through his talks and public meditations and prayers, he wouldn't have actually been, you know, permitted to do officially. And this is probably one of the reasons why he got these uh, angry or abusive uh, correspondence and threats and all that kind of stuff and put on government watch lists, <laughs> which we'll discuss a bit later. But uh, obviously, Guruji uh, was not going to stand for that kind of you know, exclusive, um, the selection of devotees, the whole people that come to the past. But it's really interesting you say that people of color were not allowed to attend these talks, but they 
a person of color was actually able to organize this talk. I think it's in the South, um, perhaps because your Guruji was um, uh, educated. <laughs> no, stamp of a British subject. Yeah, stamp of approval from the British, um, British who have apparently had some influence at that time. No longer. <laughs> <laughs> I hear the bitterness. What do you say, Mike? I hear the bitterness in those words. Yeah. No. <laughs> joy, joy, and elation, oh, yeah. relief. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even uh, you know, uh, the Irish have been sort of discriminated against, and it's funny because the Irish, many of them would have went to the US and probably discriminated there themselves. But mm. it was very standard to see signs in in London and places up, you know, up until late 60s, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, when it, when I said that to people, they're kind of shocked, but, you know, the Irish in England were heavily discriminated against. So it's, it's a really widespread kind of problem of this identity, you know, um, tribal kind of uh, politics that there is still hangover today. But Yogananda was Clearly, like I said, not mincing his words, Danish. You know, he was he was quite firm on what he believed, like over a hundred years ago, in the face of what would have been very intense hatred as well. So super um, yeah, very, very inspiring stuff. Like he, you know, he had an iron will and he expressed it without fear as well, which is really awesome. Yeah, that's what I mean. Just one thing I wanted to add is that that's what I find uh, really uh, I have so much admiration for Yogananda because. He says things which are really simple. Granted, they may be very difficult to follow, mm -hmm. but he doesn't mince words. He's not trying to please anyone, to like persuade anyone to like follow him. He just calls a spade a spade. So, mm -hmm. you know, he he'll, he'll just point you to the truth straight away. He'll talk about God. If you don't like it, then sorry. <laughs> yeah. With that, thank you very much. Danish for joining us today. Oh, yeah, it's been superb. Thank you, Danish. Thank you. We hope to have you back on anytime. So, Jai Guru. Jai Guru, everyone. Jai Guru. Jai, Jai Mao. <laughs>